Chapter 78 Cistern and Buckets Nimble as a cat, Teshtego mounts aloft, and without altering his erect posture, runs straight out upon the overhanging main yard arm, to the part where it exactly projects over the hoistened tun. He has carried with him a little tackle called a whip, consisting only of two parts, traveling through the single sheaved block. Securing this block so that it hangs down from the yard arm, he swings one end of the rope till it is caught and firmly held by a hand on deck. Then, hand over hand, down the other part, the Indian drops through the air till dexterously he lands on the summit of the head. There, still, high elevated, above the rest of the company to whom he vicariously cries, he seems some Turkish musin calling the good people to prayer from atop the tower. A short-handled sharp spade being sent up to him, he diligently searches for the proper place to begin breaking into the tun. In this business, he proceeds very heedfully, like a treasure hunter in some old house, sounding the walls to find where the gold is masoned in. By the time this cautious search is over, a stout iron-bound bucket, precisely like a well bucket, has been attached to one end of the whip, while the other end, being stretched across the deck, is there held by two or three alert hands. These last now hoist the bucket within the grasp of the Indian, to whom another person has reached up a very long pole. Inserting this pole into the bucket, Tashtego downward guides the bucket into the tun, till it entirely disappears. Then, giving the word to the seaman at the whip, up comes the bucket again, all bubbling like a dairy-made pail of new milk. Carefully lowered from its height, the full freighted vessel is caught by a appointed hand and quickly emptied into a large tub. Then, remounting aloft, it again goes through the same round until the deep cistern will yield no more. Towards the end, Tashtego has to ram his long pole harder and harder and deeper and deeper into the tun until some twenty feet of the pole have gone down. Now, the people of the Pequot had been bailing some time in this way. Several tubs had been filled with the fragrant sperm when, all at once, a queer accident happened. Whether it was that Tashtego, the wild Indian, was so heedlessly and recklessly as to let go for a moment his one-handed hold on the great cabled tackles suspending the head, or whether the place where he stood was so treacherous and oozy, or whether the evil one himself would have it fall out so, without stating his particular reason, how it was exactly there is no telling now. But, on a sudden, as the eighth and ninth bucket came suckling up, my god, poor Teshtego, like the twin reciprocating bucket, in a veritable well dropped head foremost down into the giant tun of the Heidelberg and with a horrible oily gurgling, went clean out of sight. "'Man overboard!' cried Degout, who, amid the general consternation, first came to his senses. "'Swing the bucket this way!' And putting one foot into it, so as to better secure his slippery handhold on the whip itself, the hoisters ran him high up to the top of his head, almost before Tashtego could have reached its interior bottom. Meanwhile, there was a terrible tumult, Looking over the side, they saw the before lifeless head throbbing and heaving just below the surface of the sea, as if the moment seized with some momentous idea, whereas it was only the poor Indian unconsciously revealing by those struggles the perilous depth to which he had sunk. At this instant, while Daegu on the summit of the head was clearing the whip, which he had somehow got foul of the great cutting tackles, a sharp, cracking noise was heard, and to the unspeakable horror of all, one of the two enormous hooks suspended the head tore out, 
and with a vast vibration, the enormous mass sideways swung, till the drunk ship reeled and shook as if smitten by an iceberg. The one remaining hook upon the entire strain now depended seemed every instant to be on the point of giving way, an event still more likely from the violent motions of the head. "'Come down! Come down!' yelled the seaman to Degu, but with one hand holding onto the heavy tackles, so that if the head should drop, he would still remain suspended. The negro, having cleared the foul line, rammed down the bucket into the now-collapsed well, meaning that the buried harpooner should grasp it and be so hoisted out. "'In heaven's name, man,' cried Stubb, "'are you ramming home a cartridge there? Avast! How will that help him, jamming that iron-bound bucket on the top of his head? Avast, will ye?' "'Stand clear of the tackle!' cried a voice like a bursting of a rocket. Almost in the same instant, with a thunder boom, the enormous mass dropped into the sea like Niagara's table rock into a whirlpool, and suddenly relieved hull rolled away from it to far down her glittering copper, and all caught her breath, as half-swinging now over the sailor's head and now over the water, Daegu, through a thick mist of spray, was dimly beheld clinging to the pendulous tackles, while poor, buried-alive Tashtego was sinking utterly down to the bottom of the sea. But hardly had the blinding vapor cleared away, when a naked figure with a boarding sword in his hand was for one swift moment seen hovering over the bulwarks. The next, a loud splash announced that my brave Quigquag had dived to the rescue. One packed rush was made to his side, and every eye counted every ripple, as moment followed moment and no sign of either the sinker or the diver could be seen. Some hands now jumped into a boat alongside and pushed a little off from the ship. Ha <laughs> ha! cried Degu all at once, from his now quiet swinging perch overhead, and looked further off the side. We saw an arm thrust upright from the blue waves, a sight strange to see as an arm thrust forth from the grass of a grave. Both, both, it is both, cried Degu again with a joyful shout, and soon after, Quigquag was seen boldly striking out with one hand and with the other clutching the long hair of the Indian. Drawn into the waiting boat, they were quickly brought to the deck, but Tashtego was long in coming too, and Quigquag did not look very brisk. Now, how had this noble rescue been accomplished? Why, diving after that slowly descending head, Quigquag with his keen sword had made side lunges near the bottom, so as to scuttle a large hole there. Then dropping his sword, had thrust his long arm far inward and upwards, and so hauled out our poor Tash by the head. He averred that upon thrusting in him, a leg was presented, but well knowing that this was not as it ought to be, and might occasion great trouble, he had thrust back the leg, and by a dexterous heave and toss, had wrought Somerset upon the Indian, so that with the next trial he came forth in a good old way, head foremost. As for the great head itself, that was doing as well as could be expected. And thus, through the courage and great skill in obcentrics of Quigquag, the deliverance, or rather delivery, of Teshtego was successfully accomplished in the teeth, Two of the most untoward and apparently hopeless impediments, which is a lesson by no means to be forgotten. Midwifery should be taught in the same course with fencing and boxing, riding and rowing. I know that this queer adventure of the gay headers will be sure to seem incredible to some landsmen, though they themselves may have seen or heard someone's falling into a cistern shore, an accident which not seldom happens, and with much less reason, too, that the Indians considering the exceeding slipperiness of the curb of the sperm whale's well. 
but, peradventure, it may be sagaciously urged. How is this? We thought the tissued, infiltrated head of the sperm whale was the lightest and most corky part about him, and yet thou makest it sink in the element of a far greater specific gravity than itself. We have thee here, not at all, but I have ye. For the time poor Tash fell in, the case had been nearly emptied of its lighter contents, leaving little but the dense, tendinous wall of the well, a double-welded, hammered substance, as I have said before, much heavier than the seawater, and a lump of which sinks in it like lead almost. But the tendency to rapid sinking in the substance was in the present instantly material counteracted by the other parts of the head remaining undetached from it, so that it sank very slowly and deliberately indeed, affording Quigwag a fair chance for performing his agile obstetrics, on the run, as you may say. Yes, it was a running delivery, so it was. Now, had Tashtego perished in that head, it had been a very precious perishing, smothered in the very whitest and daintiest of fragrant spermaceti, coffined, hearsed, and tombed in the secret inner chamber and sanctum sanctorum of the whale. Only one sweeter end can readily be recalled, the delicious death of an Ohio honey hunter, who, seeking honey in the crotch of a hollow tree, found such exceeding store of it that, leaning too far over, it sucked him in, so that he died embalmed. How many, think ye, have likewise fallen into Plato's honey head and sweetly perished there? Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.